0: well hello and welcome back to another episode of the genius podcast my name is karen doyle your host and founder of the genius project an initiative for catholic women designed to support and resource you towards growth in all areas of your life personal spiritual and professional we have a number of initiatives that are designed to serve catholic women so that they can really flourish in life among these are the Genius podcast, which you're listening to, the Catholic Women's Masterclass, and our Catholic Coaching Programs for Women. If you are interested in finding out about any of these initiatives, please visit our website, www.geniusproject.co, or come and join us on Instagram, geniusprojectdaily. Or you can watch the live recordings of these podcast interviews on our Genius Project YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe so that you're notified every time a new episode drops. Well, ladies, on this week's episode of the Genius Podcast, I am joined by Monica Dumit. I am so excited to be bringing you this interview because I feel like it is a really, really important conversation that we need to be having as women. Sometimes we can get really comfortable in our everyday life and we can forget the bigger things that are happening around us and the role and the mission that we are called to play uniquely as women created in God's image and likeness. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation with Monica. Monica comes with a wealth of experience in this area of just standing in the public square and the public space and fighting some of those cultural battles that seem to be raging around us and even within the church. Monica is a Director of Public Affairs and Engagement for the Catholic Archdiocese of Sydney, engaging in policy and communications for issues such as abortion, euthanasia and religious freedom. She's also a regular columnist for the Catholic Weekly. She was also the Communications Director for the Coalition for Marriage, Prior to working for the Archdiocese, Monica spent 10 years working as a corporate lawyer in Sydney and London. She holds degrees in law and medical science and a diploma in finance and a master's in bioethics. Needless to say, this woman comes armed with a wealth of knowledge, information, formation, not to mention a very beautiful deep faith. In today's conversation, Monica and I are going to roam across a number of topics, but really what we're looking at is how we as women can stand up, step out and armour up the spiritual battle that is taking place around us. I really hope and pray that you are blessed by this conversation with Monica. Well, Monica, welcome to the Genius Podcast. I'm so thrilled that you're joining us. We've been trying to do this interview for a very long time. So praise the Lord, miracles happen and here we are. So welcome. You're joining us from Sydney this morning.
1: I am and such a delight to be here. Uh, And like you said, it's been a long time since we've been trying to organize this. so, So finally.
0: Yes, it's awesome. And last year, Monica, you came down to Canberra and was in the studio with Von and I as we were filming the Shalom World TV series for real women. So that was so much fun, just sitting down face to face and having a conversation. We spoke into this topic of the feminine genius and the role that we have as women. And today, I'd love to take that a little bit further looking at and I guess tying into a lot of the amazing work you're doing in terms of the cultural wars and the role that we have as women. Whether we're living single life, consecrated life, married life, um, we all have a role to play in those wars, and and we have a mission. So that's sort of going to be the focus of our conversation. But before we get to that, I'd love for you to share with the ladies a little bit about your background, because I find your just your professional experience to be fascinating. I'm looking forward to a longer coffee one-on-one to hear more. But can you share with us, I guess, your journey out of school, your professional life, and how you came to be doing what you are today
1: uh yeah sure of course I'd love to so I'm a, a cradle Catholic uh Lebanese Maronite uh but raised mainly in the just in the Roman Rite uh my parents are just wonderful examples of faith we always had priests over for dinner religious around so I grew up in an, in a very Catholic household um but even even though uh all of that was true I didn't really own the faith if that makes sense it was just something that I was raised into. And then I think probably when I was about 15 or 16, I was that annoying kid, the one (laughs) who didn't have to study for any exams and could just walk in without studying, (laughs) top the class and walk back out again. Right. And so I came to this realization that if I'd been given that gift, it wasn't for me. Um, and it had to be ordered to the service of others. So really, even before being invested in my faith, it was kind of this this idea of I had a responsibility to use the gifts that I'd been given to do something. Uh, and I think probably half of my life <laughs> was spent trying to figure out what that, what that was and what God was calling me to. Mm. Uh, So I left school and studied um, undergraduate medical science and law at the same time. So I did a combined degree. Uh, My head (laughs) (laughs) would, I I really wanted to do law, but my brain sort of worked in the sciences a little bit better. So I thought I could combine the two of them. Uh, And then I I did the bioethics electives uh, just as a way to combine the two disciplines. and I remember the lecturer. I was I was twenty at the time, and the lecturer would come in and just talk trash about the Catholic Church. Pretty much in every single one of these lectures, okay. uh, she would just she would say bad things about Catholics, about Catholic teaching, and things like that. And for me, it was the first time that I'd had somebody directly challenge the Catholic faith in in front of me. I went to Catholic school. Some of my friends at uni were Catholic. So hadn't had somebody who was that oppositional before. Mm. Uh, And so I thought I'm pretty sure some of what she's saying isn't true. So before these classes, I would be super prepared, not only in the course materials, but also on what the church taught. Because I thought if you're going to come after the church, you're going to have to do it with truth. Mm. Uh, And without knowing it and, and it didn't really I guess it hasn't manifested in my life until uh, maybe a decade later, but that was a real turning point for me because it was the first time where I thought truth is very important to me, and truth about the, the Catholic faith is very important about it is very important to me. Um, so I finished uni, uh, went into a corporate legal career. So I spent ten years as a lawyer, mainly in uh, mergers and acquisitions, uh, structured finance, things like that. So working for big companies, deals were hundreds of millions of dollars and, and all of this and really, really enjoyed it. Um, but at the same time was doing a little bit of little bit of writing, a little bit of commenting for the Archdiocese of Sydney, just on the side. I was writing a you know a monthly column in the Catholic Weekly and doing bits and pieces like that. Uh, and then I was living in London uh, back in 2013. And I got an email from the communications office of the Archdiocese of Sydney and I'll never forget it. They said, oh, look, we think that you should quit your job as a lawyer, uh, move back to Sydney and you should start working in communications. Yeah. That's very bold. (laughs) It (laughs) is. But it it got even better because then the email said, "Uh, below you will find a list of your objections to this proposal and our responses to your objections to this proposal. (laughs) So we've already dealt with everything that... (laughs) that you could possibly reject <laughs> uh, the primary reason being I'm a lawyer I know nothing about media and communications um but it was convincing enough and I'd been praying for a long time for the, the lord to show me where he wanted me to go next and I felt a real peace about this move even though it was crazy right uh so I quit my job I moved back to sydney from london uh and started working at the archdiocese at the beginning of 2014 um so look and I have to say I was terrible at comms for the the first couple of years I had no (laughs) idea what I was doing so I was a lawyer um that's right we learn
0: new skills we learn we
1: learn we learn uh and then in in sort of 2016 2017 we could see the the debate over same-sex marriage was coming through and so the archdiocese sent me on secondment to what eventually became the Coalition for Marriage. So the No campaign, the official No campaign uh, for the marriage plebiscite. So I relocated uh, down to Canberra for a number of months and worked full-time on that campaign, uh, ultimately becoming the communications director uh, for the campaign uh, and one of the spokeswomen. And that was just a a masterclass in politics, political strategy, political communication and everything like Mm -hmm. that. Uh, And then I realised after that, after that experience, that that's really where my talents were and, and where my gifts were and where I could use them best. And so I came back to the Archdiocese after the after the campaign and said, um, look, I think you know this has been really wonderful, but I think I'm really called to move into the political arena. So I'm gonna resign this job in communications at the Archdiocese and I'm gonna go down and work in politics. Uh
0: fantastic. <laughs> and then I but, but then um
1: Archbishop Fisher intervened. So Archbishop Anthony Fisher is the Archbishop of Sydney, and uh he said you're Sebastian. not going anywhere,
0: pretty,
1: <laughs> pretty much, much. Pretty much, it's, it's very interesting when you have an archbishop tell you he doesn't think you've discerned something correctly. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> um, but no, no, he was great. Look, he said, He said to me, Look, if, if that's what you want to do, do you want to do it here? Um, I don't have somebody who's advising me on politics, political strategy, and things like that, and if that's what you think. You're being called to do it for me, um, and so he created this role for me uh, here at the Archdiocese. I'm the director of public affairs and engagement, and that means that I uh, assist him in government relations, in preparing submissions to parliamentary inquiries, campaigning over different bills, uh, forming okay. the faithful in some of these political areas, um, and everything like that. and And I've been doing that now for five years, and I absolutely love it it's funny Karen I I used to pray every day like Lord what do you want me to do like where where do you want me to serve just show me show me it was my daily prayer and then I woke up and a few years ago and I just thought oh I haven't prayed that prayer in a while and I don't remember the day I stopped but I just remembered like oh that used to be my most frequent prayer like every day in front of the blessed sacrament whatever it was um just deep in prayer and then i realized it's not something i'm asking for anymore which really i think confirmed to me that that this is what he's calling me to do at this point um and it's hard but i love it i i love it i wouldn't trade it for anything
0: Well, I can see that and I can see the joy in your face and the passion when you speak about these issues. And there's something really beautiful I find about witnessing somebody living in their gift and doing exactly what they're on this planet to do. There's something really beautiful about that experience. And I know watching you in the conversations that we've had, you just, you come alive in this space, even though the work is hard, you come alive and, and it's just fantastic. And I find it amazing that you can look back over the course of your life and I include myself here and you can see how at the time you maybe were confused and you had no idea that you felt a bit aimless but that God was strategically placing you and giving you experiences and encounters that would lead you ultimately to the thing that he wants you to do and it's all training ground and I think that's a really interesting point that I'd love to just highlight for women, especially for women who don't know what their purpose is and don't know what their gifts are, that God doesn't waste anything, that he's moving and he's moving in every individual moment of our life and our experiences and our encounters. And I think I love to encourage women to just get that holy curiosity to ask, oh, what, what ignites me? What fuels me? What do I get righteously really angry about? What are the gifts? What are the experiences that I've had? Because All of those things are clues that will lead you ultimately to your mission. So I find that amazing. Just you can see the fingerprint of God across your life, even from being a student at school and that awareness and awakening to that you have a gift. It's not for yourself, that it's to be placed at the service of people. So that's extraordinary. Uh, It's just such an interesting career that you've had and, and such important work that you're doing now, particularly in this present moment in history in which we find ourselves. So I just really want to affirm and applaud you for the work that you're doing too, Monica, because it's not often rewarded it's quite it's quite a battle quite a fight but on the behalf of many people i would like to thank you for the great work that you're doing
1: thank you and look thanks be to god i you know he's he's made me for this and and it's just such a joy to be doing it
0: Yeah, fantastic. And you've just been in the USA. My husband literally arrived home yesterday, which was very exciting. And similar, he hadn't been able to travel, obviously, for the past three years because of COVID. And he's back over there speaking to Catholic educators and teachers, and that's what he does best. And it's just been so lovely to see him back there. But you recently went to the US yourself in June and had an amazing encounter there. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, actually, let's go back. You were telling me before we went live, you had an accident literally before you got on the plane. So I, I would <laughs> so like much. to make the point that we can actually over multitask as women <laughs> and, and yes, yes. share your story because it's quite funny. <laughs>
1: so okay. So I, I was in the office. I had um I was coming from one meeting uh in, in my office in the city to another one out of Stratford which is about a, a 20, 30 minute drive away. One meeting went late. And so I was running late for this next meeting that I was supposed to be chairing. Okay. Uh so Jumped in the car, uh, driving a little bit recklessly, and I clicked a curb on my um on my way through. I took a corner a little bit too quickly and thought, okay. oh, you know, I've, I've done something, start driving, realize i I'd blown out a tyre. Uh, so <laughs> I, I was on the Anzac Bridge, for anyone who knows Sydney. It's a very, very busy sort of, you know, That is not a good place to be broken race. down. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> pop the hazard lights on, ring the NRMA. They tell me it'll be an hour excellent, it's going to be an hour. So I did what any sane person does and pulled out my laptop and tried to zoom into this meeting that I was <laughs> supposed to be chairing from the middle of the Anzac Bridge. Uh, anyway, the tow truck drivers were very gracious. They got me into the back of the tow truck. They they towed my car off. They let me continue the call on the phone. Uh, so I was still trying to chair this meeting from the phone. They changed my tyre for me and you know, got to the end of it and they said, waved waved at the window and then you're right to go now so (laughs) I did what I usually do which is you know turn around and grabbed my handbag put it on my shoulder and jumped out of the car uh only I forgot that I was in a tow truck which is a little bit higher than
0: than a car off the ground
1: right just a little bit higher right
0: uh so so like a lot flat
1: onto the ground (laughs) flat onto the ground and um I uh, ended up breaking a <laughs> short story. I ended up breaking a couple of bones in my spine. Um, still managed to get to a meeting with someone from the prime minister's office that evening
0: though.
1: One circle. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, but yeah, so, so that was crazy. So I had to do my US trip with a, uh, with a broken spine, which oh. wasn't exactly uh, pleasant, but it was, I'm so glad I still, I still got to go over because um, it was just such an amazing experience. I, I was over there at the invitation of Catholic Answers yes. uh, and gave a few talks uh, for them, which was just really wonderful.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And so I, I find that our work in the United States is so encouraging. It really fuels, I guess, the work that we do here in Australia with Catholic education, um, because sometimes it can feel like you're fighting a losing battle. And and I find when I go to the US, there's just such a spirit of encouragement Um and entrepreneurship and i just get really fueled and energized by that to be able to bring some of that energy back home here into the work that we do did you have that encounter yourself while you were there
1: look absolutely it's hard not to be inspired by the church in the u.s uh and the faithful and it's interesting though because you know if you look on on twitter or x or whatever it's called now or all of the you know the various catholic websites Some of them can present a bit of a black armband view of the faith. And we know that that the church has its struggles and its crises and its scandals and everything like that. Um, But actually going over there and being in the U.S., what you see – is just um, an experience of people who really passionate about faith, who want to be involved in it. Uh, and it's funny, one of the things that I found was that n- no one cared, sort of, you know, they didn't do the left, right, progressive, conservative or whatever. Oh, you're Catholic? Come to this, you know, Let, let's invite you for dinner. Why don't you come and stay at my house? All of these types of things. So it's the, the, the Catholic bond um, is a lot is a lot stronger than you, we might think. And it's very apparent, I think, when you're travelling overseas. Yes, um, yes. What unites us is so much so much bigger than what divides us.
0: Mm, amen to that. Yes. And, and you were sharing before we started talking just that the experience over there further discerned, I guess, your call in this particular area and I guess shone a bit of a spotlight on what it is that you're doing. You were saying that you were sort of struggling to understand what your core message was in some of the talks you were giving, but that really became evident in your experience over there. Can you speak a little bit into that? Because I'd love to pick up on what the Holy Spirit revealed to you while you're in the US, because I think that will frame and give us some parameters for our discussion today. Uh, yeah,
1: sure thing. So so one of the things I love doing when I'm in the US is talking to them about what's happening in Australia, because uh, some of the Dare I say attacks or threats to religious freedom that we see here in the here uh, in Australia are just so foreign to them. Um, yes. So you know, pe- people getting fired for social media posts about their faith. Got while while the US has now uh, overturned Roe v.ersus Wade on the abortion issue, we've got abortion up until birth here. Uh, euthanasia, not only across the country, but also uh, imposing it on faith-based institutions and requiring euthanasia to occur on-site in, in faith-based aged care facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, places like Victoria where, uh, in certain respects, prayer-based practices are, are subject to conversion practices law and, and everything like that. So you start telling those stories and people in the US get quite um, quite shocked by it. But one of the things that I kept sharing was why we fight. Um, so we, we've, we've had a lot of losing battles over the last few years in Australia, whether it was the loss of the same-sex marriage campaign, uh the abortion debates, euthanasia debates, uh confessional seal, various religious freedom fights. It just seems Calvary like Hospital. every Calvary Hospital. Um, and that that's a that's a good example of something that was completely over before it started. Um, and before the announcement was made, the it was a it was a real stitch up was, to you to Absolutely. use an Aussie phrase. Mm-hmm. Um but what was great about the Calvary Hospital fight is that there was still a fight put up. Um, and so one of the things that I, I was able to share with them is why we fight, why we fight when we know we're going to lose. Um, a really wonderful, very holy bishop here in Australia quoted the art of war to me where they say that you should only fight the battles that you know you're going to win. And then otherwise you should preserve your resources and. Uh, to to put into other things and and that was his proposal. But with respect, like I said, very, very good man. But I really disagree with that. I think that there's something there's something very good and very important about fighting losing battles. Um and so I was able to to sort of share with with US and, and hopefully maybe we can discuss this in a bit, some of the reasons why it's important to stand up and fight even if you know you're going to lose.
0: Amen. A hundred percent behind you. I remember back in um gosh, oh, it's going back a long way, 2005, Jonathan gave a keynote at the Sexual Integrity Forum at Parliament House. And it was a big inquiry, they were pornography and a whole lot of other laws. And he was asked to give a keynote alongside a US speaker, Dr. Marianne Laden, And it was a fantastic experience. And But sitting in that room for three days where just all of the negatives were presented, you just walked away so heavy in spirit. You're just like, well, what is the point? Like, this is so overwhelming. What on earth can we do? And I remember in prayer just that, I can't remember the quote, but it's, all we need for evil to flourish is for good men, and I'll add women, to do nothing. So all we need for Mm -hmm. evil to flourish is for people to do nothing. And it really convicted me way back in 2005 in the work that we do in this area of sexuality and sexual integrity and formation is that even though these forces are powerful, we still have to be a light, we are still called we're not called to pack up shop and go and hide out in the bush we're actually called to be witnesses to Christ and save and bring as many souls with us as we can on this journey and you know last year we were at a wedding and it was a beautiful experience because these two um young men came up to us and they said oh are you Jonathan and Karen Doyle and we're like yes and they said well i just need you to know these men were about 30 something now. They said, you changed my life. Back when I was a 15 year old, we came to your seminar at World Youth Day in Sydney, and we were struggling with pornography. And and that talk changed my life. And so then they got help and they're out of that. Now they're married with kids. And that is a common theme for Jonathan. He'll be walking through an airport or something. and, And some kid will come up to him 15, 20 years after school saying, you changed my life. And I often think, you know, if we had have packed up because it was too heavy or in the too hard basket, there's a whole lot of young people who might not ever have received or encountered the freedom of Christ in these areas, and these strongholds like pornography or relationships that can really take them out early. Um, now, some of these people have gone on to do amazing things in the church and are fighting their own cultural battles now. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in that we are all called to play our part. Um, no matter how dark it seems no matter how overwhelming it seems we all have a part to play and I'd love you to speak into that for a moment for us just around how do you keep fighting losing battles (laughs) like personally for yourself um, but then how can I guess the everyday woman show up and there's sort of two questions there I guess why don't we start with what are women called to do in, in their sphere of influence, whether they're married, they're stay-at-home mums, whether they're in the corporate sector, what can individuals do to contribute to this this battle?
1: And absolutely. Um, And it, it's funny, I'll start with commenting what you were saying about yourself and Jonathan, uh, and that you had people come up to you. Uh, That's wonderful. And thanks be to God that you get to see some of the fruit, but there is so much fruit to your work that you don't see and you won't see this side of heaven right and i think uh and that's my first message i guess to uh all of the women listening is that particularly for women uh in whatever our state of life is often we don't get to see the fruits of our labors um uh you know i i think that you know moms who battle with with raising their kids well They might not get to see the kind word that their child says to somebody on the playground or something like that, Uh, the the restraint that they exercise in an area of their life. Um, But you're pouring in hoping uh, for fruit. But we have to be first content that we may not see the fruits of our labors and we just have to entrust them to God. Yes. Um, and this is the work of a lifetime as well. Uh some of these battles aren't going to be fought or won politically at the next election or the election after that. Um, we're going to have to just pour into this with the trust that we're doing it even if not to see fruit in our own generation, uh, but that you know, a generation yet unborn uh yes. will be able to reap the benefits of our of our um hard work here. So that's that's what sort I of think I think we need to first take the long view. Um, and know that that we don't necessarily well, well, obviously, we need to be concerned about the fruit of our work at the same time, we shouldn't demand that's to see true. it because that's in that's in God's timing, and that's in God's providence. Yes. Um, and then we all have a sphere of influence. Uh, I say, you know, parents in particular, are sort of the black ops, they're the sleeper agents. Because you can have so much influence on your family, Um, and that's where a lot of this will—that's where a lot of this, I think, will play out. So as we get, you know, laws that increasingly restrict religious freedoms, and you know, try to try to limit what uh, Christian schools can teach, what churches can teach, and all of those types of things, and try to limit the public witness, try to limit. the freedom of Catholic hospitals to be Catholic or, you know, uh, schools in the same way. They can't restrict your family or well, they might try to, but we're, we're going to have to be engaging this with the witness of our lives. Um, the, the law can't stop you doing what's true, what's good, what's beautiful. Uh, so wherever you are, whether you're at home, whether you're in the workplace. So I spent, uh, as I mentioned before, a lot of years in in corporate life. And one of the things that I found is that someone who is serious about their faith, in a in a secular workplace is a is an incredible light uh to people. Yes. Um if we look at the statistics, maybe you're more likely to encounter uh someone with a, a severe peanut allergy than you are a practicing catholic in your yeah. workplace. Yeah. Uh so you're very very rare. You might be the only encounter that somebody has with a person of faith. Um which means that you don't necessarily have to go around and and correct people about everything or you know be overt about uh the gospel or anything like that but just the way that you live the way that you treat other people um in your work can be an incredible witness. Uh, and certainly that's what I found. Um, so God will put places and people and situations in front of you where you can be that light and you can you can stand up for something, whether it's, you know, checking what, what's going on in your kid's school um, or something like that. I find often when I give talks, people say, oh, I feel so guilty. You know, you're out there on the front lines. Um, you're in the public sphere. Like, I'm too nervous. I worry if I make a complaint at my child's school that my child will get picked on. I I worry that if I say something at work, um, I might get disciplined. I don't want to do wear a purple day or whatever it is. Um, you know, I I feel really guilty that I'm that I'm not being as courageous. Look, I don't have a lot to lose. I'm single. I don't have anybody depending on me. Uh, I work in a in a church setting, so. This is actually my job. I'm not going to lose my job for standing out there in the public square. Uh, it's my job, but that's what I'm called to, and I'm called to have these types of battles so that you can do your your thing in your square. So I, I think that often as women, we we feel guilty about everything, right? We always feel we feel guilty about yeah. everything, but we I think we tend to feel guilty about not being vocal on some of these issues. But that's I think that's something for discernment in your state of life, in your workplace, in your family, and things like that. I don't. I don't think that everyone's called to be public um, no. about issues about, and to take them on publicly, but I think that there's a lot that you can do just with your small sphere of influence.
0: Absolutely. And also just the witness of your life. Like I often find like you were talking about the corporate setting. So even though you might not be giving out Bibles in the corporate world <laughs> or, you know, correcting people as you say, the way that you live your life should stand out in such a way. And and my experience has been when I was sort of working as a nurse, that there was a way in which I lived my life that when people hit a rough time, or say a marriage fell apart or someone had an issue, I would be the first person that they would seek out to discuss these things on a deeper level. Because because they noticed something about the way that I live my life, even though I wasn't actively talking about my faith. And, and I think that's really important to be reminded that we need to stand out. That's our call as Christians is to stand out so that we can be a source of light and love to others. And, and when they do have those tough or difficult seasons, there is a window and that there's often a beautiful opportunity then to lead them to Christ or to connect them in with somebody or something that might be able to help them out of that difficult situation. So you're right. It's not just being in the public space and speaking up. It's also just the living witness of our life. And and as you talk there, I'm reminded my favourite passage, Mulieris um, Dignitatum, which is John Paul II's encyclical on the value and the dignity of womanhood. He opens it with a quote from the Second Vatican Council. And he says, the hour is coming. In fact, it has come when women are being acknowledged in their fullness, a time when women will take a place and have an effect never to have been achieved before. And that's an abbreviation, but at the end he says women filled with the spirit of the gospel can do so much to aid humanity in not falling. And so I think in this moment in history all women are called to really dig into their faith and cultivate a very serious life of prayer and spirituality, and it's in that place that the Lord reveals where and how you're called to step out. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of
1: the things that we find is that often where particularly in in sort of the corporate world um, but even sometimes the church can fall into this is if a woman wants to be of influence then she needs to behave like a man. Yes. Uh, it was certainly something that was that was drummed into me as you know in corporate no you need to stand like a man does and you need to do this and sort of this rejection of what is beautiful and unique about um, woman and try to embrace the masculine. And and like I said, the, the church can, uh, whether we're, we're discussing sort of roles of governance or ordination or things like that, can also fall into that trap. But I think the idea is actually, no, there is a place for women as women uh, in the world uh, and not for women who are trying to be men, um, if that makes if that makes yes. sense. So well, I think John,
0: that... John Paul too beautifully says that when women do seek to do that, they actually lose what constitutes their essential richness. So we have to understand that being created in God's image and likeness, whether that's male or female, we are called to reflect something of the glory of God. And we do that through our masculinity and our femininity. And so if, you know, God wants us to reveal part of his image through our feminine genius, through the gift of our womanhood. um, And we do need to understand that. He says, you know, John Paul II goes on to say, without the qualities of womanhood you know humanity is impoverished and dehumanized and so this sort of comes back a little bit to our conversation on the battles and we are we have to can never forget that we are in a spiritual battle that we we often forget that that all the stuff that's happening in our life is actually taking place in front of a much bigger backdrop and that is the backdrop and the battle for our soul and and for people's souls and so we all have a responsibility if we're living the christian life wherever we are to be witnesses to light and love and to be engaged in that spiritual battle, whether that's through intercession or whether that's through publicly stepping out. Absolutely. Um,
1: And, yeah, and no matter what our state of life is, uh, we were talking before a little bit about, you know, marriage, single life, uh, religious life, everybody has a role to play uh, in this.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I love the, um, I often, I found during COVID, You know, that first year of COVID was particularly difficult for us. The whole thing was really difficult, actually. But that first year, I just, when there was so much uncertainty about when when and if it would ever end and when we could get back to work or all of those things. I remember doing my um, coaching qualifications for Catholic coaching and my drill instructor, she was talking to me and we we had a one-on-one session. It was great. And she ended up talking about this scripture from Esther you know, being born for such a time as this. And we talked about the emotion that's needed when we're sort of engaging in these battles or where culture feels difficult is that emotion of courage, that virtue of courage, and to really pray through that. And I remember I was before the Blessed Sacrament, just thinking about this coaching session I'd had and being born for such a time as this. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me that if you're born for such a time as this, That was intentional. And then the Lord will grace you for such a time as this. And so I think the work for us as women is really to come before the Lord, asking for that grace, asking for that courage and getting this holy curiosity about where he wants me to show up. What does he want me to do? Where am I being led to serve with my gifts and, and to promote life and love because women are the guardians of the heart gatekeepers of life so we have a particular responsibility to engage in some of these things that are happening absolutely
1: and and not to be too worried about um about failing as well and i think this comes back to before what i was saying about fighting losing battles the only people who don't get injured in this fight are the ones who aren't on the battlefield right right. like it's the only way that you can sorry yeah like things are things are going to be difficult you're going to get hit you're going to feel like you've messed something up. Okay, pick yourself up. Go to confession if you have to and, and keep going. Uh, get the support from people around you. That's the okay. other thing. We we need to do this together. Uh, yes. No one can yeah. be engaged in these types of battles, um, cultural, spiritual, things like that, on their own.
0: No. Uh,
1: we need to do this yeah. collectively as a sisterhood. <laughs>
0: As a sisterhood, that's right. I love sisterhood. But it's so important. I mean, we're created in relationship and for relationship. That goes without saying. So just our everyday life, we need people. But more so when we're sort of stepping up on this on this level, um, because it's a brutal, brutal world, actually, in which we live. And I think we need to sort of call that out and just mention it. I mean, you have mentioned some of the issues that you're dealing with. But some of these issues are profound. Like we look at the Calvary Hospital takeover here in Australia where, and you might want to just speak into that for a moment for our international listeners. Can you do that actually? Just Give a little synopsis of what happened
1: with that. Sure. So uh, Calvary Hospital is a big Catholic hospital in Canberra, which is our our national capital. Uh, In April of this year, there was a report about access to reproductive services. And within that report, a government report, it criticised the overriding religious ethos of, um, of Calvary Hospital. And then about a month later, the government announced that it would compulsorily acquire, which basically means it would take over the hospital so it passed a law that would take all of the land back, the hospital buildings, the operation of the building, and transfer the employment of the staff over to the government. Um, I think it was announced on on one day, the very the following day the legislation got introduced into parliament. It was passed without real debate, maybe two weeks later. And and that was it. The government just took over uh the hospital. And now, later this year, they plan to introduce euthanasia laws um, that will no doubt have applicability within that hospital now that it's government-owned and government-run. Um, and I think it was extraordinary because it was so brazen. It was so brazen, uh, the way that it was done, uh, without consultation, without public debate or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's brutal. And if anyone thinks that, that it'll stop with Calvary, um, I think that they're they're probably a little bit a little bit mistaken. I think that that was probably a test ground, and we can we can predict that in years to come we might find the same thing happening to other faith based facilities, uh, to schools and and things like that. So it mm-hmm. certainly is a a very difficult time um, here to be to be Catholic to be Christian uh, publicly in Australia. Yeah.
0: What- you say to women who might be living in the other side of the world or in the other side of Australia and they're like oh well that's on the other side of the country that doesn't concern me I, I hear this from women that oh that doesn't concern me it's not my school or that doesn't concern me it's not my city what would you say to women I guess with that mindset
1: yeah look i um one of the things you don't leave anybody alone on the battlefield right. uh so in one sense this is a fight for all of us um there's a there's an islamic cleric who i'm uh who i collaborate with on a number of things and he'll always say this is an attack on religion um and the place of religion in the public square um this is an attack on one faith or another faith uh so i think that that's true but look if you're on the other side of the country or if you're on the other side of the world maybe there's nothing that you can do about calvary hospital here in canberra and that's not your fight but Hopefully, it'll be a lesson to you to be vigilant about looking for some of the things that are going on in in your own area and in your own space. I don't expect you to to weigh in from Perth to Canberra on the um on the Calvary hospital uh, fight but certainly you should take a look and see what were the warning signs there and how can I be vigilant here in my um in my own in my own space in my own sphere of influence so that it doesn't happen here uh complacency isn't an option now and i think that's one of the things that's been brought out um i don't i don't like talking about sides but it's almost like you need you need to pick a side um on this there's no sitting on the fence there's no this isn't going to happen to me it's you know euthanasia passed in victoria and then it passed you know in every other state Mm -hmm. uh so one domino falls and and they all go so so that's fine you may not have to join every fight and actually i that's something I'm quite convicted about. We don't have the capacity to join every battle. Um, but we should be aware of them so that we're aware when the battle's coming for us um and know what to do, know who might be able to help you. So if something happens in your space, maybe you reach out to the people who fought on Calvary and say, look, this is coming for us. What can you, what advice can you give? Um, and things like that. So I think vigilance is probably the answer for people who are on the other side of the world or country. Yes.
0: And building, I would say also building communities too is very important, just building and preserving community because I have three children of my own and we're very blessed that they're part of a beautiful youth group um, which is over – sort of it's run by a community here in Canberra and missionaries of God's love priests and sisters are involved and so we're really blessed that they're within that community but I hear in our work with choices where I work with parents on a lot of these issues they're sort of in they're very isolated in their parenting their children are really isolated and so one sort of piece of advice I really like to encourage people in is be really intentional about building community where you are and for some that might mean moving I know a number of families have moved to be with other families of like mind, but we're in very challenging times. And I'm speaking as a parent right now. The landscape has shifted so dramatically for our children. It's it's not funny, the role of technology, um, just the over-sexualization of culture, a lot of the ideologies that are being pushed and, and really pushed. I would say, you know, we've got this switch from education where we're educating across all these spheres to really indoctrination and it's, it's, very, it's a very narrow view that is being pushed in the school system on our children, they're not being taught to be critical thinkers, um, that we really need that community outside of school around our kids to support them and around us as parents. Uh, and then I would also say to families to be looking for people like yourself, Monica, who are sort of fighting these battles and how can families support. And I think one of the most basic things families can do is to intercede and to pray for people like yourself, people who are on the public, you know, at the at the forefront of these battles um, is to really be interceding for for the people and and for the move of God in these areas
1: absolutely like I always say so I'm I'm as I mentioned I'm single and I always think it's it's still my job to back a vocational culture so I'm going to be the you know the best and, and closest uh friend to my you know to my friends who are married with kids and helping them uh be a good friend to the priests and religious in my life uh because it's still my job to back Um, marriage and family and and vocations and to priesthood and religious life particularly when they're under attack in all of these culture law culture wars and things like that so that's my role but yes equally um, uh, I'm always you know desperate for prayers and for people who are uh, words of encouragement too I think is a really big thing Uh, you can't say because it's behind behind my screen but I have an entire wall of just like little notes and things like that, that, that people will occasionally send, just, you know, keep your chin in the fire and, you know, these types of things. um That means a great deal to people who are out there on the front lines who, who receive, I guess, a, more than our fair share of, um of criticism. I'm not, so,
0: absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, so look, it's great. And I, you know, I have to say that I, I don't know where I'd be without the, the priests in Sydney, um who are just the most amazing and wonderfully encouraging and uh, not not a day goes by, I think, where I don't have someone checking in, just going, just want to see if you're going okay, often mass for you today, uh, something like that. So yeah, um, a real sort of community um of faith as well. Uh mm. and the community of saints, right? Like that's that's what we're called to be. Yes.
0: Well, you're so blessed, Monica, to have that beautiful community around you. And it's so important. And I think Wherever women are, I just really want to encourage them to be building that sense of community because we can't do this alone. If we want to preserve the faith in our own life, in the lives of our children, then we really need to be building those bonds with other people. I um I had an email from a woman a few weeks ago, and she was just talking about exactly this, just the issues that they were having in their child's school, issues with their children, and she had really lost hope. She was at a real place of just. Saying, I've been in, I've complained, but they won't listen. There's nowhere else to send my child. I think I just need to give in to this. And I was really interested in that idea of giving into it. That I find that people fall into a couple of camps. They feel like, oh, well, it's so powerful. This is just going to happen. We just may as well go with it. And other people who are too afraid to say anything or to speak out. How could you speak into that?
1: Yeah, of, of course. And it's um it, it is very difficult. Um, we can't take for granted anymore that, you know, you send your kids to a, a faith-based school and that they'll be looked after, right? We need we need to be vigilant, but one thing that I'll say is um, I'm going to borrow a bit from uh, a, a hero, of, a hero of mine, um, Blessed Clemens von Galen, uh, who was a, uh, a cardinal in during sort of the, the Second World War, uh, and who spoke out a lot against the Nazi regime, um, not only in some of the the euthanasia battles and things like that that were happening then, but also about what was happening in the schools. Uh, and he used the analogy of the hammer and the anvil. Right, and he said, you know, you've got all of these pressures hammering your kids, but and 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 they do form, uh, they do form your children, but the anvil that pro- that's just a solid base that provides the resistance is equally as formative, right? So by just providing that solid base, providing that resistance. That forms the nail that you're hitting just as much as the hammer does. Resistance is formative. You have to be that solid base for everything that's happening in your families, everything that the world is throwing at your kids, throwing at your friends, throwing at your, you know, your parents, all of the lies that the wall the world is telling them, be the be, be the anvil, um, be that formative resistance uh that's going to to shape the lives of your children, the lives of of those around you. Uh, this isn't new. He was writing this in the forties, right? That things cut, you know, indoctrination was coming into the schools. Um, often we think that we can't we can't do a lot, um, but our resistance is powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, I, I think it's it's still worth you know, modeling truth to your children and uh, and to others in your life, um, and and doing that as well. So I don't don't think that your resistance doesn't help. It does. Uh, some of the schools will listen. Some of them won't. Uh, I remember a, a recent case. Uh, I won't name the school, but where a number of parents complained um, about something and got it changed. Uh, so you you know, there's strength in numbers. Keep trying. Don't be discouraged if um, if your efforts don't work. Um, But I wouldn't give up uh, because the things that we still part of fighting losing battles and we're talking about this a little bit before, but we need to we need to at least let people know that there's still a fight to be had. If we give way to some of these ideas, some of these ideologies, and we don't resist them in 10 or 20 years time, the next generation won't even know that they're wrong.
0: Tell me, there's one last question I really want to ask you, and I'm interested in your experience, but then how can women do this? How can we preserve, I guess, faith and joy and courage in the face of these battles and in face of the culture, which seems really dark, even within our own church, there is a split and and people are polarizing. How can we preserve joy, faith and courage during these times?
1: I think first we have to look for it, right? Like we, we, we need to actually pause and and ask the Lord to show us like what are what are the moments of joy, what are the moments of grace that You've given me that I and don't take them for granted. Um, we need to, to trust that He has it in hand. I was saying before uh, about this might be a lifetime's work. Um, in the US, that Roe versus Wade was overturned. Last year, um, it had been 50 years since it, since it had been passed. And one of the key players in that, uh, a woman named Nellie Gray, who started the March for Life, uh, she died 10 years before, before that was overturned. But she fought her whole life for that, you know, marched, literally marched through snow and everything like that and all of those around her as the culture got worse it got absolutely it got so much worse um and she never got to see that fruit this side of this side of heaven we need to to i guess find a peace in that our efforts will Our efforts will bear fruit, even if we're not going to get to see them in this life. Because Mm -hmm. you know what? God wins. God wins. The culture of death is sterile and it is self-defeating. It has no children. The culture of death has no children. It will kill itself off. And what will prevail is a culture of life and love. We will outlive. We will outpray. We will outlove, outserve, outvocation, outnumber um, all of those who seem to be surrounding us at the moment, inside and outside the church. God wins. He always does. Amen. yeah. Amen.
0: Oh, beautiful. And 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 we can have one of the saints beautifully said, you know, we can have no victory without the battle. So we, we need to armour up for these times. We need to armour up in the word of God, in the sacraments and just practically about where we are being called. And so, Monica, I just really want to thank you for shining some light on some of these issues and what we can do as women. And we we'll just really pray for you and thank you for your important work. Thanks
1: so much. Such a joy to be with
0: you. Well, ladies, I hope that you found that conversation to be insightful and that it really stirred something within you about your unique role in what is unfolding around 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 us in the world in the church, in our family, in society, because make no mistake about it, ladies, every single one of us is called to play our part. And I love that scripture from Esther, that you were born for such a time as this. And I truly believe that if you were born in this moment in history, it is because God intended you to be here because you have something to offer. You have something to bring into this world that nobody else can. And so you have been born, for such a time as this. So ladies, my prayer for you this week is that you would take, I guess, some of the things that might have been stirred in your spirit during this conversation to prayer before the Blessed Sacrament and ask the Lord, what is it, Lord, that you are asking of me in this moment in history? And then discovering some of those gifts and then praying for the courage to actually step out and activate your gifts and your unique mission. Until next week, ladies, have a beautiful week. God bless you. And I look forward to you joining me again on the Genius Podcast next week.